Welcome back to J. Tom Lawler Rink here at Merrimack College. Battle of Vermont and Merrimack this weekend, and boy, if you're looking for goals, you certainly got some in this one. 4-4 at the end of the second period of play. Merrimack trailed 4-1 at one point in that second period, scored three straight, and has tied it up at 4-4. Mike Mackin alongside John Leahy. Tonight's second intermission is brought to you, as it always is, by Merrimack Grad School. At Merrimack, you can earn your master's degree in as little as one year. Choose from graduate programs in business, education, engineering, health sciences, criminology, and so much more. Visit merrimack.edu backslash graduate today for all the details. Mike McMahon joins us back from sunny FLA. And uh, Mike, how was the weather down there? Uh, colder than usual. Colder than what you would expect from Florida. It was, it was nice the first three days and then uh, unseasonably cool the last three. <laughs> yeah, but what does cold in Florida mean? 60? Uh, yeah, it was low 50s. Uh, yeah, Monday and Tuesday was low 50s. We had uh, we had jackets on Monday night at, at an outdoor show, so it was, it was pretty cold. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be wearing my coat. Well, this one tonight, I mean, 4-4 four, four through two periods, the, the two of the lowest scoring. They might be the two lowest scoring teams in, in Hockey East. Uh, did you foresee this one coming? No, not really. Although Merrimack's offense has ticked up a little bit over the last couple of games. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have thought we'd see eight goals in two periods just because Lekas is really good and Vermont doesn't score very much. So you kind of figure that this is going to be two pretty low scoring games. And you know, I, Honestly, I, if you gave me an over-under on eight goals in the weekend, I probably would have taken the under, let, let alone two periods. So way more offense than I think anybody would have expected coming into this week. Alright, so let's talk about what happened on the third Merrimack goal, the power play goal that cut it to 4-3. Uh, the goal that was scored by Irvine. They took a look at it, took a little bit at least uh, on our side of the press box here to figure out what it was they were looking at. Realized that they were looking at offside to see if an offside had occurred, what, some 20-30 seconds before the goal was scored. Um, indications are Vermont challenged the uh, the goal. It was looked at. It was close. It was close, no, no question. But uh, ultimately, uh, the goal was allowed to stand. And uh, I mean, this I don't know how many reviews is this we've had tonight four or five I think so far I mean the number of reviews I think that we're seeing in college hockey begs for somebody to take a look at this whole process and, and see if we can't find a better way to do it yeah uh, I mean I know when it was instituted a couple of years ago or more than a couple of years ago now it's because a lot of things were getting missed uh, and, and I don't know what the happy medium is but there's way too much of it now uh, I mean there's games now that, that stretch almost three hours uh, you get seven or eight reviews in one game uh, and even on, the, on the, the third goal there for Merrimack we were talking a little bit about it off air Kevin Stein and Vermont didn't do anything wrong within the rule they can challenge whether or not that's an offside and if it's offside it's not a goal I think it's a dumb rule. I think the rule needs to change. I don't think that should be a challengeable play. And I don't know how you differentiate this. If it's a goal scored on an offside on a two-on-one rush and it affects the play, then that's one thing. If it's a goal ruled back on an offside, even though the puck was in the zone for 30 seconds and it really had no effect on the play, it's hard for me to think that that's something that should be reviewable. Again, it, it's probably. I think you probably leave the offsides up, up to the officials. Uh, you know, if a linesman comes over and says, "Hey, it was close," I, I think you should look at it. Uh, then maybe the referee, can, maybe that could be a, a thing that the referee can review on their own. I, I, I think challenging a play like that, having in the rules that you can challenge a play like that, I'm not a fan of. Whether it's college hockey or pro hockey, because you have plays like that. Like if that Irvine goal got called back and it wasn't offside, and look at the replay, it was close. I don't know that it was. Uh, but let's say he was offside by you know, a tenth of an inch or whatever it was. It had no effect on the play. It really didn't. So uh, the fact that you have a goal called back or something like that, I, I don't think makes a lot of sense. But it's in the rules, so Vermont didn't do anything wrong. So the one thing that I would change about what you said, I totally I, I agree, probably 95%. The one thing I would say is, when, you, when again, when you go back to why replay was put in in the first place, 
it was to address those situations where there was an egregious something was missed that everybody in the rink knew what happened and they missed it whatever it was whether it was a penalty you know that occurred behind the play or away from the officials you know they didn't see it or a goal that was scored and clearly was you know shouldn't have been allowed it was kicked in or it was knocked in with a hand or something or or I would say an offside that was a blatant offside that everybody in the rink knew and so I would say so I would say if that was an offside that was very blatantly offside and was missed and the play was allowed to continue and then the goal scored then I'm okay with them calling that goal back but not if it's offside by an inch. Yeah, and, that, and that's hard to be the judge of, right? Uh, I think what happened is is they, they put the, the replay in both at the professional level and the college level to, to do what you said. Fix those egregious mistakes. And look, it's hard. You're at, you're at ice level trying to officiate a game moving this fast. It's hard. I, I certainly wouldn't want to be the one doing it. Uh, but I think what happens a lot of times now is we'll see... You see it in all sports. You see it in the NFL. You see it where the officials use it as a crutch. I was going to say Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, yeah. I think that's where it's had the most problems because it was very clearly put in in baseball for that reason. The, the, the plays that were just obvious and they got missed, and now it's being used you know, for those very, very close, close plays that could have gone either way. That's that's what we don't want to see. You don't want to see in baseball. Put it this way. Professional Major League Baseball can't figure it out. How can we expect? college hockey to figure it out. And, and that's a problem. It, it's a slippery slope when uh, you go back 15 years ago, we had no replay. And, and that there were obviously problems there, too. So I don't know what the happy medium is. I, I just think that some of the stuff we've seen, there was a game last week, I think it was the BU game that was here, uh, that I was watching. I wasn't here live for, obviously, but that game went until almost 10 p.m. because there were seven or eight reviews in that game. I mean, you get, you get in some of these games where the the reviews, whether it's a penalty or a goal, I mean, there's just review after review after review. It gets to a point where you're like, this is crazy. What are we doing? So here's the problem, right? And again, you know, how do you do this? Because you, you don't want to see that happen. Nobody wants to see 10, 12 reviews or whatever in a game. But here's the thing. What if you put a limit on it, right? You put a limit on the number of reviews, and then something happens late in the game, and you reach the limit, whether it was, you know, the number of replays that a coach could ask for, which we know there's already, you know, for the dashboard. Or maybe it's the number that the referees are going to, you know, take on themselves, and then something very obvious happens later in the game, and you can't look at it because for whatever reason, you re- reach the, num- the limit on the number of reviews. I-, I agree with you. I don't know what the answer is either, but I just know that what we have right now isn't working. Yeah, and, and the thing that drives me a little nuts is when it's used as a crutch. So, I, I honestly, when's the last time we saw a five-minute major call that wasn't reviewed? Yeah. That used to happen a lot, where a guy would get hit from behind or contact to the head, and the official, without even reviewing it, would say that's a major penalty. Now you almost always see a minor call on the ice, and then a review to see if it's going to be a major. It's yeah. it's used. It's being used as a crutch more than it's being used as a tool to make sure they get things right. And that's where I think we're off track a little bit. Now, let's talk a little bit about the game here tonight. Uh, you know, obviously both clubs need wins. Uh, yeah. To be able to have a chance to move. Vermont doesn't have a win yet in the league. They're 0-11-1. Uh, Merrimack needs wins to have a chance to catch some of the other teams that are, are a little bit ahead of them. They're closer to having a chance to be able to get still get into the playoffs. But they need to help themselves a lot as well. Um, I, I guess, first of all, as far as Merrimack goes, is it a concern that, for example, last two games you had to make a goaltending change at, in both games, you know, because uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, it wasn't getting done? I think so. Yeah, and I, I think you're at that point. I think this is the eighth, or I was looking at it earlier, 
eighth or ninth time they've had to make a goaltending change this year. How many were there last year? There were a lot last year, too. I'd have to look. I don't remember. Uh, but, yeah, I know it, it's it's a concern for sure. And, and that goaltending number, we've talked about it before, it, it's a team stat as much as it's an individual stat, right? I mean, goal t- save percentage is predicated a lot on shot quality, not just the number of shots. So if you're giving up high-quality chances, your goaltender save percentage is going to be lower than what it, it is if you were, a, a lot of those shots are coming on the outside. So it's a lot of it's predicated on, I think, how you play in the D zone. But this is now uh, a stretch of games. I mean, we're, we're well into the season where that has been a problem, where the team team save percentage, not so much, it's not goalie save percentage, team save percentage is, is under 900, and the national average is around 910. So you're at 862, I think it was, coming into this game. Four goals on 18 shots means that's going to be even lower now, and, and it's well below the national average. So that, that does have to be a concern. And, and just the point, by the way, is that, uh, you know, Merrimack's got four and 25 against uh, oh, yeah. maybe the best goaltender in the league. I don't, you know, so that's happened as well. Yep. Mike, let me get your thoughts on Merrimack's next opponent, Maine. Now, theoretically, if things go well this weekend, Merrimack could be ahead of Maine uh, when those two teams meet in Orono next week. Maine's winning at BC, by the way, 3-2 to two in the third period. But let me get your thoughts on Maine as we approach this weekend series. I thought they started really well. They, they hit a little bit of a tough patch there, I think, around the, the holidays. But uh, they started really well. Uh, they, they honestly strike me very much similar to Merrimack and, and Vermont. Uh, some of those teams that are kind of near. I know they, they started well because of that hot start. They were higher up in the standings and I think a lot of people thought they were going to be. Uh, but they just, they're another team that's really young, relying on a lot of younger guys and, and their older guys aren't really producing the way you would have expected. Uh, they've been not stagnant might not be the right word, but there hasn't been a lot of growth there and a lot of development. Like they're, they're, Mitchell Fossier looks to me like he's the same player he was as a freshman. There hasn't been a lot of growth there in terms of point production. And we've seen that with Merrimack too. I mean, we've had guys here that you kind of think, okay, 25-point freshman year, 20-point freshman year. He gets to his junior, senior year, he's going to be a 40-point player, and it just it never materializes. But at the end of the day, uh, much like Vermont and Luckus, they have Jeremy Swainman, who's a pretty good goalie. So on any given weekend, they, they can steal four points just, just based on how well he plays. All right, thanks a lot, Mike. We appreciate it, folks. Check out his work at themacreport.com, the Eagle Tribune, neutralzone.net. In fact, actually, if you're available tomorrow night, I want to get into some of those uh, the, the uh, rankings, the draft rankings that came out, and uh, you had some interesting numbers on that earlier this week. Um, and also, what am I missing? College Hockey News, of course. So, uh, Before you go, were there any falling iguana advisories? I had a listener just uh, <laughs> let, let me know that she experienced a, a falling iguana uh, warning in Florida. Did you see any down there? We did. It actually led the news one of the nights we were there to watch for falling iguanas falling out of the trees. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. We'll talk to you tomorrow night, hopefully. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Mike McMahon, our guest here with the score. Vermont 4, Merrimack 4 after 2. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Warrior Hockey.